Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm joined by my good friend Jim Barrier, fresh back from a trip to Thailand, formerly known as Siam and known to many through the musical The King and I. Jim will talk about his trip and a lot of other stuff, etc., 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 to pay a little bit of homage to Yule Brenner. Jim, welcome back to the States. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bob. And you know, that movie is banned in Thailand. Really? Yeah, yeah, they don't approve of I thought they portrayed the king in a fairly positive way. And I know it's based on a true story. Of course, I'm sure they exaggerated and changed a lot of things. But it is based on a real Anna and the King story. Yeah, it is. Actually, there have been several stories, uh, uh, films and stuff. The the musical, though, with Yul Brynner is the one that was most famous. But yeah, they don't... They don't show that film over there. For some reason, they disapprove of how that whole relationship was portrayed and stuff. But it is now Thailand, not Siam. Yes. Uh, though we did visit ancient Siam, and we, we went to a number of historical places while we were there. If I get a chance to ramble, I'll talk about some of that. But I just want to give you a little breakdown of the trip and then some of my observations that might be relevant to uh, this show and, and the things that you talk about. First off, it was the longest trip I've ever been on. It was over 30 hours getting over there. 30 uh, hours? Changing planes a lot, I assume? There was a lot, and we had an eight-hour layover in Tokyo. But we went through five different airports on the way over there and back, beginning with... Boy, Spanish these days, it could take you 30 hours just to get through one airport. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So we, we started in San Antonio, went to Dallas, then to Tokyo, then Bangkok. On the way back... We went from Bangkok to Tokyo to LAX and then to San Antonio. And in all of those airports, I just, I just wanted to throw this out there for you Californians. Of all of those airports that we went to, LAX was absolutely the most unclean place. I don't know if it's just something that's going on in that state. Well, and I've been to LAX, and it has not been that way in the past. But the city of Los Angeles, like so many cities run by Democrats, is just in shambles. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, I hadn't been in LAX in years. And and I think the the moment that just stood out for me there, we were sitting there, we're in the terminal, so we're, we're through security, we're waiting at the gate, and I look over, and there's a guy rummaging through the trash can. And at first I thought, well, maybe he lost something or something. He looked kind of like a homeless person, but he obviously has a ticket because he's, you know, he's sitting there at the gate. And then he goes over and he starts going through another trash can. And I thought, that's bizarre. Nobody that worked there, no security, none of the American Airlines people or anybody else said a word or even approached him. I thought, maybe that's just normal these days. But that was a strange impression I, that I'll never forget that. But anyway, that was a long, long flight through a lot of airports. I will say this, I don't know if we're supposed to give plugs on the radio, but Japan Airlines was the best I've ever been on. And I've flown all over the world. You know, we travel a lot. And I was just very impressed with Japan Airlines, particularly with their flight crew that are so polite and they were so attentive and everything. So there's a free plug for somebody at JAL. If only I had some reason to go to Japan, I'd take you up on that. Well, if we ever go over in that vicinity again, we'll look for uh, Japan Airlines. Of course, the reason we booked it is because it was this 
the most affordable fare we could find. So it was it seemed a good way all the way around. Now we get to Bangkok, and, and I, I don't know how much I told you about, I went over there because the guy that was my closest friend in high school prior to my becoming a Christian lives over there. He's been over there for 17 years, and he kept saying, come visit, come visit. So we decided to go visit. And that's what took us to Thailand. And they live in the Bangkok area, which the Bangkok metropolitan area is 14 million people. Wow. That's like Houston and L.A. combined. And the traffic, oh my gosh, the traffic is horrendous. The most common mode of transportation is little motorbikes. And so there's these thousands of motorbikes flying in and out and just, you think they're going to run into a bus or something every time. So that was crazy. The pollution was horrible. I wore a mask everywhere, not because of COVID, but because the air was so bad. Oh, I guess there are some real reasons out there still to wear masks. Well, and most of the people do. It's very common. And so I have this thing, honor the community standard. It's similar to Paul's thing of do the Romans, I'm a Roman, do the Jew, I'm a Jew, that kind of thing. So when I travel, I kind of go with what is the normal accepted thing. I don't want to rock the boat when I'm in someone else's country. Now, in this country... So when you're in America, you say, to the idiot I became as an idiot that I might win the idiots? (laughs) I sometimes feel that way. We're going to touch on that in the second half of the show, by the way. So anyway, pollution was bad. The food is very different. And I will say this, if you've ever traveled, like if you go to Italy, Italian food in Italy is not like Italian food in America. And so it is with Thai food. The food over there was not like you would get in a typical Thai restaurant here in the States. But they used odd spices. It's weird food. And they're, they're predominantly Buddhist, so they don't eat a lot of beef. But they do eat pork, so they don't have a problem with pork. But a lot of vegetables, a lot of soupy stuff, seafood. I lost eight pounds on the trip, either because I just couldn't eat that much or we were walking a lot. But it's very strange food, but cheap. You could go out and buy a meal, a good meal, for just a couple of dollars U.S. The difference between the bot, which is their currency, and the U.S. dollar is, is crazy. So everything is pretty cheap there. In many ways, even though it's an Asian country and predominantly Buddhist, it, Bangkok, at least, is very, very Western. Everyone has a cell phone, and they're glued to them. They're walking around, looking at their phone. They're sitting on the train, looking at their phone. <laughs> I felt right at home with that. People were on their cell phones constantly playing games or doing whatever. And commercialism abounds. Everywhere you go, somebody's selling something. There are stores and shops, and you walk along, and people just sell stuff out of the back of their house. They have little restaurants, and they set up a hibachi. And so everybody's trying to make a bot. That seemed very Western, the commercialism. But on the other hand, Overall, the people are very, very polite. I didn't get any attitudes from anybody, even teenagers. (laughs) The people were very nice, very polite. They smile, and they do this thing. They kind of bow, and they put their hands together, kind of like in a little praying motion type of thing. And that's the common greeting. And we learned, you know, from our hosts, wait until someone else does it, and then you return that. You do a little bow, put your hands together. And they're just, you know, they were very courteous, very friendly. And I found that quite refreshing. So that's a little bit just my view of the culture. Now, we were in Bangkok the whole time. We did go on a couple of road trips a few hours out of town to see some sights. But in the city, it seemed very Western. Vehicles and pollution and money and people dress very much like Americans for the most part. Except for every once in a while, you'd see monks here and there, and they're always in the orange robes. And these would be Buddhist monks, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, And we met a few of them. 
and interesting to talk to Buddhist monks that they can speak English. But it, the people, I, I loved the people. I don't think I would want to live there. Now, my friend lives there. He's been there because, you know, he gets a pension. He worked for the phone company, retired. Now he's on Social Security, and he lives on pennies on the dollar. So they're living great over there. So it was just an interesting culture. And for me, just it was, a, it was my first time in an Asian country, and so it was, it was quite an eye-opener. And I saw wild water buffalo when we're out on a bus tour and monkeys, and I, I fed a baby elephant. That was a real thrill. <laughs> So it's a jungle. It's basically, we were there. They told us to come in December or January because it's the only time that it's not hot. And it was in the 90s the whole time. So that, that was their cold season. <laughs> so, wow. Now, Jim, you wow. realize you could have done all this at the San Diego Zoo. You didn't have to go all the way to Bangkok for well, this. I know that. And when people tell me they've got a great zoo, San Antonio has a cute little zoo. People talk about their zoo. I say, you know, I'm from San Diego. And that usually, that ends the conversation. Although my son lives in Waco. I've been to the zoo in Waco. It's not a bad, I like it. San Diego Zoo is so overwhelming. You know, you're never going to see it all in one visit. It's nice to go to those zoos where you know you've seen everything when you're done. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And most, most towns, that's the way the zoo is. Now, San Diego, I always tell people, if they go there the first time, ride the bus first. And then go back and visit the couple of things that you'd like to see. Because you can't see the whole place in one day other than taking the bus tour through the whole place. So So San Diego Zoo, another plug right there. Boy, we're doing all these free commercials. Except the last time we took the bus, I could have seen the whole zoo by the time the bus finally took off. (laughs) Yeah, that happens. Well, I, I love the San Diego Zoo. Grew up with it. And it's like going to another country sometimes. So you're right. We could have seen all those things there. But it's fun to see his stuff in the wild. Now, I want to talk about Buddhism. That's the predominant religion in Thailand. And uh, some comparisons between Buddhism and Christianity. And, of course, you being the apologist have probably done a lot on Christianity and comparative religions. But it was just an interesting thing for me to see. And the people we were visiting, my friend who I grew up with, he's a, he's a professing Buddhist, and he married a Thai native, and she's a Buddhist. But it was interesting to see, even though they claim to be Buddhist, you know, they never go to temple, they don't go to services, and they pretty much don't really keep the rules. But they're, Well, they're all religions have their nominal varieties, just like we have people yeah. in Europe and America that call themselves Christians and don't know the Bible from the back of a yeah. bubblegum card. Exactly. And that's what I was struck with, that that seemed pretty common. I want to go through real quickly the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. The first one is right view. And that is that our actions have consequences, and that death is not the end, that our actions and beliefs have consequences in the afterlife, whatever that may be. The second one is right resolve, in other words, right thought, right aspiration, or right motivation. You know, we have that, that's part of biblical worldview, is to have a, a proper motivation. Right speech, which means no lying, no rude speech, no gossip. No idle chatter. Now, you can find those things right in the Bible. Right conduct. And they get specific here. No killing. So far, ABC's The View doesn't qualify for any of these. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Jim, Uh, hold with me over the break, and we'll we'll continue talking about Buddhism with my good friend, Jim Barrier. You only need to listen to this radio program once to figure out that Bob has very strong opinions on a wide variety of issues. But one of Bob's strongest passions is freedom of speech itself, even when such speech challenges his own convictions. So feel free to send Bob a comment or a thought-provoking question. You can reach Bob on Facebook or questions at bobsegel.net. I'm your host, Bob Siegel. Say hello again to Jim Barrier. 
Okay, so we're on the fourth of eight paths, the eightfold path. And the fourth one is right conduct, which is no killing or injuring, no taking what is not yours or not given to you, no sexual misconduct, and no material desires. Now, I think a lot of people fail miserably on that because there was so much commercialism, there was an awful lot of material desires going on there. But that, that's the fourth one. And I talked to a monk one time and said, you know, okay, you, you don't believe in killing or taking life. But you're, you're not vegan. You'll, you'll eat fish or whatever. And he said, yes, but when you catch a fish, you want to catch a really big fish, not a bunch of small fish, because then you're only robbing the planet of one soul and not a bunch of them. I thought, oh, well, okay, that kind of makes sense mathematically. It doesn't make sense to me on a spiritual level. So that's part of their pathway. The next one is right livelihood. No trading of weapons, living beings, in other slavery, meat, liquor, or poisons. Interesting. Now, so wait, how can, you eat, they, how can you eat meat if you're not allowed to trade meat? Uh, you know, that it, it's like so many things in religion. You know, you have, you have these nice-sounding rules, but it's pretty hard to live up to that one. Yeah, it, you can eat, but you should give things away, share things, but you shouldn't be buying and selling, I guess. But I don't. And then right effort. This is preventing the arising of unwholesome states and generating wholesome states. And what this is, is it's restraint of the senses or sensuality or sense faculties. So denying those things that your body is telling you to do. And I think there is some measure of that that's good for us as Christians. We shouldn't let our appetites run our lives. Right mindfulness. This is a quality that guards or watches over the mind. And I think we should have our minds renewed as Christians. And then the last one is right Samadhi, which means meditation. And right away, a lot of Western Christian people, the whole meditation, meditation is evil. Well, you know, we're encouraged to meditate on God's Word, to meditate on His being. In fact, Paul says, what, whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, any praise, think on these things. Well, that's meditation. What we don't want to do is open up our mind and just let whatever is out there come in and fill our head, which is what transcendental meditation is. So, But meditation is not a bad thing. I think David did a lot of meditating before he wrote those songs. Yes, but uh, now, but biblical are, meditation and transcendental Eastern meditation, yeah, oh, which started, you know, they're, they're very different. The Eastern version is an emptying of your mind, and yeah, in yeah. the Hebrew meditation, the mind is very active. You're reflecting yeah, on exactly. things, you're reflecting on God's law, you're not just yeah. opening up your mind to get in touch with other spirits. In fact, yeah. if anything, you'd be discouraged to do that because the Bible teaches there are demonic spirits that want to mess with your mind. Yeah, yeah and that's where it gets dangerous. And that whole thing, when it flooded the U.S. in the late 60s because of George Harrison and his Maharishi and all of that, you know, I always thought that was odd, too. Because after that happened, universities and colleges were offering classes on meditation. There was no separation of church and state when it came to that stuff, Eastern religion. Anyway, so, <laughs> but I digress. Yeah, it's, it's um, only Christianity that gets that prize. Yeah. But what I observed is what you mentioned earlier. There are many people that profess Buddhism, but their lifestyles are quite materialistic, just like many Americans and Westerners profess Christianity, but they don't really live it. And I didn't see a whole lot of people over there that attended regular services or went to temple. Mostly the temples were full of tourists. 
that's not absolutely exclusively, but there, that's where the crowds were. There are people taking pictures of the giant gold-covered statues of Buddha, and these temples were amazing, full of jewels, and they're beautiful, exquisite places. But again, when I go to Europe, especially in Italy, there are cathedrals and basilicas, and they're filled with gold and statues of Jesus. And even here in the U.S., I've been to some church buildings that are pretty opulent and an awful lot of money being poured into the structures. My reaction to all of that was, I think the Buddha, who was not resurrected and didn't claim to have resurrection, but I think if the Buddha were to show up today, he'd be as embarrassed by some of the things being built to honor him as Jesus might be if he walked into some of our churches. Yeah, no doubt. He'd be turning over the money changers again. So I just saw a lot of similarities there. There was a lot of people that were nominal, as you said, but they weren't devout. I suspect the ones that are become monks, or at least the men. So anyway, that was that was some of my observation about Buddhism versus Christianity. Now, as we have talked, there is a difference between Christianity and just about every other religion I can think of. The first one is the claims that Jesus made about himself. He made outlandish claims. He claimed to be existed before the world. He claimed to be equal with God. He claimed that he would raise himself from the dead. He made some amazing claims. And the resurrection, which he claimed, and over 500 people saw him. I had a friend one time, he used to say, Muhammad died, they put him in the ground. Buddha died, they put him in the ground. Jesus died, they put him in the ground, and he got back up again. I'll take a winner every time. <laughs> <laughs> Or as Larry Norman said, he couldn't keep a good man down. So that's a huge difference, the resurrection. And then just the whole thing of the difference in the Bible and other religious works. The Bible is is a completely unique book, and I know you've talked so much and taught about that a lot, but there are definite differences. And, And maybe the biggest difference, I believe, between real Christianity and any other religion or system is we can't save ourselves. Jesus died accomplish what we cannot do through any amount of works or behavior or right thinking or any of that. It's faith in Christ and his vicarious atonement, death and resurrection and ascension. Those are the things that make what we believe different from any other religious system that I'm aware of. And for those of you listening and you think I'm nuts or I'm talking crazy, just call Bob later. He'll explain it to you. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got some good books out and stuff that that talk about those things. There's a lot of stuff you can get, but but Christianity, real Christianity, biblical Christianity is absolutely unique from any other system, despite the similarities in some of the moral codes. I hear people say all the time, oh, all religions are the same. Well, they're not, folks. They're just not. Maybe religion, man-made religion, yeah, but faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation is absolutely unique. It is interesting and, uh, that my very first year on the air doing this radio show, all the way back in 2005, uh-huh. I had a seminary student on my show. I won't name the seminary. And he was a very nice guy, very sincere, uh-huh. but he had taken a trip, I believe in his case it was to Tibet, and mm-hmm. he had stayed at a Buddhist monastery. And he came back very confused because here he was preparing for ministry. And he said, well, these monks are compassionate too. 
They're compassionate yeah. just like Christians. So why should I be saying Christianity is the way? And I had to deal with them with kid gloves and say, well, it's not just yeah, a question yeah. of who's compassionate. It's a question of yeah. what they believe about God, what is actually the truth. All human beings are capable of being compassionate, but we also have an evil, sinful side of our nature as well. And it was clear that this guy, even though he was preparing for ministry, knew nothing about real yeah. Christianity. And that was exhibited by this trip he took to a Buddhist temple. For me, it's frightening sometimes. I've known people that have gone to the best seminaries in the country, and the very small grasp they have on the fundamentals of the faith, I would call it. Now, I, I grew up old school, you know, and I've got my bookshelf here is lined with books that are mostly out of print, but people that studied the Bible and did historical research and stuff. And, you know, anymore today, I think if a young person goes to seminary with aspirations of ministry, what they learn is, about tax law and how to avoid getting sued and how to run a business. And they're cranking out CEOs rather than pastors. That's my opinion. <laughs> I've seen it. I've watched it. So things have changed in the last 50 years. I yeah, would and say. there are good seminaries too. And Jim and I have both been to seminaries. Sure. So we're not knocking seminaries, yeah. but be careful which no. one you pick. Yeah, and it's like everything else. You have to go with the right motive. And then you, you ha everything has to be tempered by your, your devotion to the Creator, your relationship with God, and allowing Him to guide you and let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you into all truth. So those are things that need to be done. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob. <laughs>